Sorry, I apologize for that. Okay, look up my notes. Fantastic. Okay, so we're up to Parshas Vayela. It starts from chapter 31, verse 1. It's again, like we said last week, it's one of the very short Torah portions that are going on. Mitzvah and Vayela are both very short Parshas. Um, so you see, it's really very, very, there's very little, uh, very few words, but very powerful words. Um, I want to start with three thoughts. First of all, um, this upcoming Shabbos is called Shabbos Shuva or Shabbos Shuva um, because of the Haftorah, where we say Shuva Yisrael, the, the Jews should return to Hashem. The Shabbos we read Rosh Hashem Kippur is always, that's always the Haftorah that we read of coming back to Hashem and Hashem will forgive us. And like, yeah, if we haven't pulled it off till now, then we should make, you know, here's your, your last ditch effort. Let's try to do this. So this is Shabbos Shuva this week. Second of all, I want to touch on the fact for a second that today is some Gedalia, that this is the fast of Gedalia. I know I sent you the link, but I want to just mention for two, one minute, um, uh, the, that essentially when, it, when Gedalia gets killed, that's the end of the Jewish presence in the Holy Land for many, many years. And there are, in our, in our calendar, we have about five different fasts that are commemorating different versions of the destruction, and this is one of them. So it's the easiest fast that halachically a person wouldn't need to fast. Since Yom Kippur is here, like around the corner, literally, today's the fourth, today's the third, Yom Kippur is the 10th, so that's a week away, and it's not considered healthy to fast so often. So because it's considered, to begin with, it's considered a minor fast, and Yom Kippur is right here, and that's a really major you need to fast unless you really blah, 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 speak to a rabbi, da, da, da. So that's why some is kind of like one of those minor fasts. It's, it's not considered one of those that people, it's one of those that anybody with a half a reason is probably not fasting and some people without even a half a reason. So really because the, the focus is on Yom Kippur and the assumption is that fasting weakens a person. So therefore we're not encouraging people to, to do extra. Okay. Okay. Um, sorry. So, um, no, if anybody could fast and function, then it's, it is a fast day, meaning Gedali was actually killed on Rosh Hashanah. We don't fast on Rosh Hashanah. It is, in fact, a fast day. So I'm not saying, oh, I'm not being cavalier and saying, oh, don't. But I am saying, like, if somebody isn't feeling well, if somebody is nervous that they're not going to be able to fast in Yom Kippur, then this is the fast. Definitely, definitely, this is the one to let go of. Don't you have to, if you, for any fasting, don't you have to make it up if you break your fast? Mm. Don't you have to fast another day? Not that I know of. Maybe it's not just, wait. No, no, it's not a question of Chabad Minuk. The question is, why am I not fasting? Meaning, there's, I will say this and I will clarify with the rabbi. I think there's a very big difference. If somebody says, I am taking upon myself but these fasts, if you're not fasting, you're not fasting because you have a reason. So there's no, you don't need to actually make it up. And parenthetically, which is just an interesting thing to note, is that we once had a situation in the, the show that my father Dobbins in that the, a Torah scroll fell. When a Torah mm -hmm. scroll falls, which is a very big deal, everybody needs to fast for 40 days. Yeah. So you don't need to actually fast for 40 consecutive days. You could, you could fast 
for winter days, which are shorter. You don't have to like keep it for the beer. You would have to keep track. Did I do the 40? So then you could also do fasts that are timing that is better for you. So or 40 people can fast one day, right? I don't know. I know. I don't know that they, I don't know if that is or is not a thing. I know that it, the, the general rule of thumb is that everybody who's there has to fast. So it's like a big deal. Yeah, yeah. We're really, we're very careful. About it. You need to have, you need to have four, you need to fast 40 days. You don't have to do it. It's not Ramadan. You don't have to do 40 consecutive days starting from tomorrow. You could say, okay, now it's the middle of the summer. We're going to push these off to, you know, the winter when sunrise to sunset is so short and that counts as a full day fast. So it's, it's working with the system, not, you know, not messing it. Okay. So that was the second thing I wanted to mention about some good value. So I never heard about these fasts that you have to make up, but I will in fact look into it just because I don't know something doesn't mean that it's not actually true. But for sure, if you have decided I'm going to fast for whatever reason, I had a bad dream. I'm not suggesting you do this. Some people say I'm going to fast because I had a bad dream and then you aren't able to, then you would, I would imagine you have to make that up. But this I don't know about. And um, what was the third thing that I wanted to say? I forgot. So we're going to just go straight into it. Okay, Parshas Vayelach. When we talked about last week, how Nitzavim and Vayelach are really very often, are usually a to one Torah portion that are sometimes split. And here we have the we have the Vayelach part of the team. Now, last week when we spoke about Nitzavim, one of the things that we mentioned, I believe, is that Nitzavim actually means to be standing straight and strong and upright. Okay? And this week, Vayelach, what does Vayelach mean? What's the root of Vayelach? Right? Lech, to go. Right? So Vayelach is to go, that forward movement, that forward progression. And one of the things that we talk about, first of all, when they are together, that they're, can you close the door, please? Thank you. Um, that when we, when, when they are together, the first thing that we need to know is who I am and what I stand for and what my values are. If I have that solid, then I can grow and I can build. If I don't know who I am or where I am or what I should be doing, then my, my forward motion is scattered and is all over the place and it doesn't, it's less effective, right? So this week we're dealing more with the Vayelch, we're dealing with the forward motion part of it. And I think it's very interesting that it is a new year. It's a new energy, it's a whole new ball game. It's a whole new situation that's happening now. And presumably we've already put down our needs up and we've already put down our solid strong foundation and now we're ready to move forward and ready to progress and we're ready to like go from here where do we go from here so if we open up our tar portion the person who is being introduced as Vayelach is going is who is who is it Janice Moses, Moses. and what does he say to the people Ready? yeah uh, Moses went and spoke these words to all of Israel he said to them I am 120 years old today I can no longer go out and come in. And Hashem has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. Okay, pause a second. You know that whole expression, you know, whenever you say, how old are you? You're, oh, till 120, 120. This is where we get it from. We get it from Moshe. Moshe is born and he passes away on his birthday. So this Parsha is Zion Udder. It's the seventh day of Udder in the year 2488. Moshe is exactly 120 years old. Hasidus talks about the place that a tzaddik or somebody uh, being born, I, say, I was going to say boring, being born and dying on the same day 
is an actual, it's a physical manifestation of perfection. You can't get more perfect. Like we, we didn't have any more days. We didn't need more days. It's a total perfect, uh, you, you're born and you pass away on the same day. And now let's take a look and see what does Moshe do in his last day? The 120 years old, he's been busy going and doing, and he is going to really personify for us this, this motive of Vayelech, of going and doing. I mean, at 120, he could have said, yeah, guys, like, I'm done. You know, you figure it out from here. But he's giving them everything that he can and what he's actually going to do. So we have Vayelech, and the next couple of times, Vayelech, and Vayelech, Hazin, and Zayseprach, the last few Torah portions, are going to be jam-packed for Moshe's last day of his life. Itzalim also is, uh, is also part of that, very close to his end of his life. But he has a last day of his life. What's he going to do in the last day of his life? So the first thing he's going to do, is going to gather all the people together. And he's saying to them that Hashem's going to go with you. I can't go, but you could do this. And um, Hashem's going to protect you. And Hashem's going, to, Hashem's going to fight for you. And you should just have to be strong. And don't be afraid. Because Hashem's going to take care of you. So then what happens in Shlishi, which is chapter 31, verse 7. Moshe calls Yoshua, and in the presence of all the people, he tells Yoshua, he tells Joshua to be strong and to be, to be courageous because you are going to take the people into the land. And, you know, there's always this fear, especially like with the, with the people having had this experience with Moshe, we're going to go to the land, no, we're not going to go. Like, okay, it's been 40 years. It's not like on the spot, but it's like, there's always this, in the back of their head, there's this place like, is it really going to happen? Is it really going to happen? You know, all this, the, a whole generation of people died out and didn't end up going into the land. Moshe's not going in. Like, is this really going to happen? And so Moshe is going to, is telling Yoshua in front of everybody that he should be strong and courageous because he is in fact going to take the people into the land. And on, in verse nine, it says that Moshe writes down the Torah. Now I am not going to, I do not know the logistics of how this works. Okay, because I do know that it takes a long time to write a Torah scroll. But Moshe writes down the whole Torah scroll and he gives it to the tribe of Levi. Okay, those are the people who carry the ark. Um, and he tells, okay, so that's the first thing. He writes, he may, he writes a Torah scroll. Parenthetically, according to the Rashi, according to the Medrash, when the Jewish people see that Moshe gave a Torah scroll to the tribe of Levi, they get all upset. Why are you only giving it to your tribe? Why aren't you giving it to us also? Because in the future, people are going to say, oh, they're the teachers and it's only theirs. And Moshe on the spot writes another scrolls. Now, we know if you've ever been involved with a, write a Torah campaign, it takes a long time, not just because of the money of it, but it takes time to write it. So this is what Moshe does on the last, light, the last day of his life. He wrote 13 Torah scrolls and he's going to give the people the last two mitzvahs. And what does he say to them? He says to the people that at the end in Ravi, uh, chapter 31, verse 10. Sarah, want to read? Yes. Moshe commanded them, saying, at the end of seven years, at the time of the sabbatical year, during the Sukkot festival, when all Israel comes to appear before Hashem and God, in the place that he will choose, you shall leave his holy for all Israel and the leaders. Gather together the people, the men, the women, and the small children, and stranger and your stranger who is in your cities so that they will hear and so that they will learn and they shall fear Hashem and be careful to perform all the words okay and it continues that even the children who never heard and did who never saw they should also learn so Moshe is giving them mitzvah number 612 what's mitzvah number 612 it's the mitzvah of hakel that means now we're in a shemitah year yay started 
right? Start Shemitah in year eight or year one of the cycle, however you want to look at it. They have this mitzvah of hakel. They have to gather all the people. This is the only mitzvah that men, women, and children are commanded to do. Coming to the coming to the temple three times a year is not incumbent on every single person. It's incumbent on the men. It's incumbent on whoever can make it. But you always had people who weren't coming. That's why, parenthetically, when people had gifts that they had to give to the Beit HaMikdash, they had a full year to pay their, to pay their obligation. They said, I'm going to bring a sacrifice. You had that full cycle of Shalosh Regalim, of the Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. You had that whole year of coming up to the Beit HaMikdash because, I mean, to us today, we don't think about it. Like, it's a big deal. You jump in the car and you go. In a couple of hours, you're in Jerusalem, right? Or you're going to fly. You're going to come from overseas. It'll take, you know, it's a, it's a bigger trip. But but it was a big, big, big trip back in the day. The, the street, the roads weren't paved. And it was very, very hard for the people. It's, and people often didn't come. But for Hakel, the Torah tells us men, women, mm -hmm. and children um, are, men, women, and children are obligated to come. I want to pause for a second. And I want to think about this for a second. The people have gone through a year of Shemitah. Like we're just at the beginning. We're like Sabab about it. And we're not farmers either, right? So they're, They've gone through a year of Shemitah, and now it's year, like I say, it's either, it's either year eight or year one, however you want to count it. And they can only start planting after Rosh Hashanah. They can plant before because that's still Shemitah. So they're ready like, yay, Hag is over, everybody. To the no, we have to go to, to the temple. We have to be there for Sukkot. We have to be there for Hakil. Hakel isn't said to the Jewish people. This gathering isn't said in the Shemitah. You'd think, ah, Shemitah, everybody's not working their farm anyway. Let's gather all the people. That's not when Hakel happens. Hakel happens when everybody's like, we need to go back. We need to like plant. Da, 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 da. We need to get in before the rains or whatever's going to happen. Like we have to like go do and be. And I was like, no, pause. Everybody come to the base of Mikdash. Everybody. Men, women, children, everybody come to the base of Mikdash. And they had a special plat they had a special platform built for the king, and the king would read to the to the to the Jewish people from the Torah scroll to inspire them in their connection to Hashem and their service of Hashem. And and you you know, you think for a second, like they just went through a Shemitah. They're 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 antsy to start getting back into the land. And that and and still that's the place where Hashem's like, pause. I'm in charge. I'm in charge. You might think last year would have been a much better time to do this, but I'm in charge. And I'm telling you, as you're running back into your cycle of go, 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 pause. And remember, it's not about you. You need to do your part. You can't just sit back and say, oh, I'm going to let these, I should have be blessed with crops and everything. You're like, hello, dude, did you, plant your, did you plant your field? Did you do anything? You have to do your part. But to remind us, and, and it, it's interesting to me, and I don't, I don't have I don't have the source, but I think it for me it's interesting. They've gone through a year of shemitah, and they they showed that they rely on Hashem. And still, that one more thing as we're going back into our work and we're going back into our space again, Hashem's reminding us, Vega, how are you doing this? How are you going back in? Are you forgetting all the lessons you learned in shemitah, or are you saying? We're gonna like go into our into our planting and into our our fields with a shemitah headspace. Um, so I want to say two things. First of all, I saw a little clip on the news of the farmers in Shalavim who were leaving their fields before shemitah, 
and they had music and they were like kind of dancing out saying like we're, we're, we're starting Shemitah it was Erev Rosh Hashanah four hours before Yontif and they were I thought that was like really something very special again we're not farmers so what does this mean to us and and I think like you know here's our yes we're in a Shemitah year but also our space of learning is a Shemitah space it's this place where we've given ourselves permission to be off of to whatever degree of whatever it is that we're doing and whenever we go back into it we have to remind ourselves and we have to remember that we have to do what we have to do. Nobody's saying just sit back and do nothing and expect everything to work out for you. That's not how what Hashem expects of us. But remember that all of our effort is only making a vessel in order to hold the, br- the brachas Hashem wants to give us. And so as we go back, whether we talk about the end of Shemitah year or the end of our, whatever it is, wherever our, we're moving into our own space now, we have to really remember. And I think that's really what Hakel is, that space to remember that not when you're in the space of your Shemitah space, when you step out of your Shemitah space and you're ready to go start, you know, going and doing and being, pause and say, wait a second, I got to do this properly. I need to do this, put in my full effort and put in my, my whole energy and still remember that it's all the blessings that are going to happen, it's going to be a combination of my hard work and Hashem's blessings. You know, you need to have both of those things. It's not enough to just have one or the other. Um, an interesting random side thing is that um, Lubavitch Rebbe spoke clearly a bunch of years ago, right? Because he passed away 27, 27 years ago. So it was longer, much longer ago than this. And he spoke about this idea of a hakel year. Now in Torah, there's no hakel year. There's one hakel event on Sukkot. You come and you and and the point of the meet, the point of this hakel of this gathering was to inspire and to teach and to and to. Uh, infuse the people with energy and passion towards Hashem. And he spoke about how that year, which is going to be next year, not the year we just started, but next year, this place of every single gathering that we have, we should use it as an opportunity to inspire people in their service of Hashem. Whether we talk about our family, whether we talk about ourselves, whether we talk about the friends and the gatherings, at every single point that we make a point, I guess in a way that's normal, we don't sound like crazy lunatic people, but to make a point of how, what are we doing to inspire ourselves and people around us? Um, so that is mitzvah number 612. Okay. Um, and then, and then, um, uh, then Hashem says to Moshe that I'm going to pass away. Your shoe is going to take over. And they go and Hashem over there has, they have this whole presence. It's in Hamishi in chapter 31, verse 14 and 15 and 16, where they're going to, there's going to be this actual transfer of power going on over here. And, um, and, and so the people aren't going to say, oh, when Moses was alive, Yeshua didn't open his mouth. But now that he's gone, he's trying to be the leader. And so they have this in front. They come in front of everybody and Hashem is there. And um, Hashem also says to, to Yeshua to, to remind the people to be careful that, um, that when they go into the land and they're going to forget, they're going to be successful and they're going to forget about Hashem. And they're going to, you know, they're going to, I'm going to be upset at them and I'm going to kick them out. And it's really actually kind of crazy. Um, We have in like this week's Torah portion, last week's Torah portion, before, and again, this constant conversation that we're going to forget God when things are good and then things are going to go bad for us. And when, if we don't remember Hashem when things are good, 
then it's going to be really terrible for us. And again, and again, and again, and again, we're hearing this message, like, don't forget about Hashem when things are good. Like, don't, like, the place that we're going to remember God when things are, you know, stressful, that's almost the, the understood part. But, but this, 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 um, it's, it's in our nature. It's almost in our, it's almost in our DNA that when things are good, we're like, oh, where's the Baba? We got this. We're, we're okay, you know, we, we can do this on our own. And Hashem is reminding us, and Moshe is reminding us, and it's going to come again and again and again, not to forget about Hashem when things are good. Because if we can remember Hashem when things are good, then, then we're really in the money. Then it's really, really special. Because to remember Hashem when things are bad, that's almost the default. That's when you remember God. That's when you think about, oh my gosh, I should try this, and I should do this, and I should be better than this. But when things are good and everything's, you know, Somebody's saying, why do we, why on um, Pesach, we're coming from Rosh Hashanah, right? We make, and we dip the apple in honey. And on Pesach, we, we comment the unusualness, unusualness, oh, that's a real word, whatever, that we dip a vegetable into salt water at the, at the Seder, right? We dip twice, we dip the more into the thing, and we dip the thing into the thing. How come nobody asks the question, why do we dip, why do we dip honey, apples into honey? same dipping, all of a sudden, like, that's not a question. And they answer, like, when things are salty, when things are bitter, when things are hard, why me? Why me? Oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. When things are good and sweet and it's apples and honey and everything's amazing, we never say, why did I deserve this? What have I done to, 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 to benefit from Hashem's, you know, magnificence? We never ask that question. And so we're not changing the brachas, but I think that place of the heads, the headspace of turning on that headspace and saying, you know, if somebody at our at our table was also talking a lot about gratitude, about understanding that it's not automatic that we are given good. You know, yes, we're all wonderful, amazing people, and everybody wants to do good and blah, blah, blah. But we should acknowledge when good is done to us and for us. Because then A, we see it. We see every we have all those random opportunities we get to see as we to exercise that gratitude muscle. Oh, wow. That's really special. Like it's really hot outside. I came to the bus and the bus just pulled up and I got a seat and I didn't have to wait in the heat extra long, you know, or I went to buy a yogurt and they had the flavor that I wanted and they, they often don't or all these little things. If we, if we open our lens to see them and be grateful for the things that we're being given a, it makes us nicer people. And B, you know, we like to be nice to the people who are nice. You know, we, we, the people who say thank you, we're happy to, I'm not saying you have to, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I think like in that place, thank you, God, for the parking space. Thank you, God, for the lovely people I met at the, at, you know, at my last meal or whatever, all those kind of things. I think the more we exercise that space, the, the more we are in the space to remember Hashem when things are good. And that's really what the, that's really what the exercise is. The exercise is, can remember Hashem when things are good. And if we exercise that gratitude muscle, then perhaps that's the antidote to forgetting about Hashem. And that's really what we're hearing again and again and again. We're going to forget, and everything's going to be good, and you're going to zen, and then we're going to zen. How do we remember Hashem when things are good? If we, if we work on our gratitude, if we remember, and we, from the basic things like saying brachas on the food that we're given, or the random things, the, the kind things that people do for us, or that we see happen, or that we're part of, uh, to be to be aware of it and to and to sort of tap into that, I think that's a very a very big thing. Um, uh, 
because we have this, and then we have, okay, if you see chapter 30, this is the end of the conversation. Also, Hashem's telling, telling uh, Joshua that the people are going to forget this, and then in verse 11, and I will hide my face from them on this day because of all the bad that, that they did, and they've turned to other gods. And so Hashem says to Moshe in verse 19, who has it for us? Verse 19. Go in there, you got it? Yeah. Translate. Translate. Um, and now I'll write for you this song. And Not I'll write for you. Uh, you write. You write this song. Um, and you should, and the Jews should learn it. And you should put it in your in your mouths. I'll teach it to the Jewish people. Put it in their mouths that this song should be a, a, a witness, a testimony for the Jewish people. And then, of course, I was like, what song are we talking about? What are we talking about? Right? Not as Yashir. So the next Torah portion that we have is the Torah portion of Hazinu. Okay, I don't know if it shows like this in all the Chumashim, but in an actual Torah scroll, it's written in poetry form. It's a song that's written Turn your page. I think that Chumash may not show it in the next Torah portion. Um, so it's written actually in poetry form. And in the Torah scroll, it's written like that. It's not being using every single, you know, into parchment as it always does. It's written like this. And it's a song that is being taught to the, that Hashem says to Moshe, to tell Yoshua, teach this song to the Jewish people so that when the going gets tough, they, uh, they remember the song. And I want to I wanna talk about this for a little bit. How many of us remember things, you know, 30 days have September, April, June, and November, right? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. How many people have gone to a guy in and can, you know, seeing random verses, have no idea where they come from. You hear a little bit of a snippet. How many times have you been in, I don't know if it still happens. You've been in a mall, you hear a little bit of music, and all of a sudden you're in the fifth grade again, and you're in a fight with your best friend, right? Music has the ability to transport us. Music has the ability to, to uplift us and also the reverse. It's, 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 it's a very, very, very powerful medium. And one of the things that Hashem is telling, to the, telling Moshe, and we'll get to it, I'll get to the practical application for it in a second. Torah has to be a song for us. It can't be something that we, <sighs> learning Torah. Torah has to be a song for us. And it has to be, we once had a student in the men's program. His name is Ruben Formi. And I've been quoting him for the last 20 years because he's a rapper. And he said, we each need to find our rhythm in Torah. There's no one song that resonates with everybody. One person likes this style of music. One person likes this style of music. We need to be able to connect to Torah in a song that resonates with us. We need to find our own song in Torah. We need to be able to, First of all, we need to learn Torah in a song. If you ever see how, how you learn Mishnah, it is a sing song to how you learn Mishnah, how you learn Gemara. We need to have Torah be, we need to learn it in a song so that we always remember it. The things that you learned with a song, you'll, you'll hear a little bit of a tune and all of a sudden you start singing random information that some teacher in the second grade taught you set to this tune, okay? Torah has to be a song for us. It has to be something that we it transports us back to a place that is good and that is holy and that is wholesome and it only happens if torah is to begin with is a song so i want to give us a, a personal i want to give us a plug the the first of all here they're talking about 
uh, Hazinu, which is the next Torah portion. But the rabbis all say you can't write part of Torah out of context. So this to write for you this song is actually a commandment to write a Torah scroll that this is mitzvah number 613 that everybody has a commandment to write a Torah scroll for themselves now what is the point of writing a Torah scroll for yourself because once upon a time that was the only book they had to learn from if you didn't have a Torah if you didn't have access to a Torah scroll you had no access to learning now if you look around we have lots of books and we have lots of learning books. So uh, even as even as early as like the, the 1600s, the rush was already talking about that this commandment to write a Torah scroll was in fact the commandment to buy holy books, to have books to learn. So for all the times that I tell you, don't take this as, as a literal anything. This time I'm telling you this, this is literally, this is the time if you're we're looking at a Jewish book that you're eyeing and you really want to buy and you can't like figure out what's the excuse that I'm going to gift myself with this book, this is your chance to buy it. This is our commandment to buy Jewish books, holy books, books that we learn from and that will inspire us in our connection to Hashem. So first of all, I want to plug, go and buy yourself a Jewish book. No, don't just buy a Jewish book, crack it open and do some reading and some learning out of it because that's really what the point is. Once upon a time, they only had a Torah scroll. And then as they got more and more books of learning, so the Torah scroll now becomes more of a communal, um, a communal purchase, right? Not every single person has a Torah scroll in their, in their house, you know? I do know some people who do, but they're the minority, not the majority of people. And um, so the Torah scroll itself becomes more of a communal property, and we all should have our own books that we like to learn that we want to learn. That's one thing I want to, here's my plug, go buy yourself a Jewish book. And if you want to show me what you bought, I would be very happy to see it. Um, and the other thing is really to find our song in Torah, to find, to find our joy in Torah and to find our, our, to find our rhythm and to, to think, about, think about things that we want to remember in Torah and set them to tune, set them to a tune, set them to a tune that we like, that we, we enjoy so that if we, we will remember it. So I'm gonna give you a challenge. It may or may not be a challenge for you, but the first thing that I'm challenging you to make a tune for and to remember are all the names of the Torah portions. This is a Parsha class. So I'm not talking about having to know what's in every single one of them. That's gonna be our next challenge. It's not I think part of being holistic Jewish is to be able to tell me what are all the Torah portions. I can tell you Bereshit, Noah, Lech Lecha, no, sorry, I can tell you Bereshit, Shemos, Vayifra, Vamidbar, Devarim, can I tell you all the Torah portions? And I want to challenge anybody who wants to take on this challenge, set it to a tune, because if you set it to a tune, you will remember it longer than if you just memorize and spit it back. And I will have chocolate for anybody who actually does this. I'm not, I, I, I'm going to give you a different challenge because that I think is, uh, I, I would think that that would be something that you might have under your tongue, but anybody who does this, I will uh, reward with chocolate. If people only eat a par of chocolate, I will make sure to have some of those around as well. But um, I'm with that chocolate, so that's a good excuse. So I think, and, and really things that we want to remember in Torah, we need to remember them. I think it's better to remember them with song because then you remember it for much longer. Okay. And this is pretty much, oh, so then what happens, said 
Moshe finishes, uh, he finishes writing out this whole Torah scroll. He gives it to the, he gives it to the, to the, to the, to the Levites. And he tells them to put it next to the Ark. Verse 26, uh, take, put it next ever. So, of course. Where next to the Ark does it go? The rabbis want to know. Where does it go? Does it go into the, Anybody remember what the ark looked like? Like the ark is essentially three boxes, one inside the other. This is gold, this is gold, this is wood. Okay. And the and the tablets fit inside. Okay. Our tablets are in here. How do you like my ark? Okay. So now there's two opinions. What do we do with this Torah scroll that Moshe just wrote? That Moshe just wrote. Do we stick it in here? We have a Torah scroll. Does this look like a Torah scroll, maybe? Ish? Maybe? Okay, do we stick it in there? Or do we build a ledge on the side of the ark? And the Torah scroll is <coughs> over here. Okay? Those are the two main opinions that go on in, in the Talmud. What do we do with this Torah scroll? Says, Moshe says, put it next to the ark. Where does that mean? What does that mean? Do we put it in? So oh, and then on top of the ark, sorry. I forgot my, my, my drawing. On top of the ark is a cover, a gold cover that has um, like a, a, a crown around it. And on top of it are the cherubs. Okay, that's what the ark looks like. It also had two sticks for transportation that always stayed in it. Okay, so you can always take the, take the ark and go. So the rabbis want to know what happened to the Torah scroll. Where'd it go? Was it inside with the with the tablets, or was it on the on the side? Is it literally on the side, or is it literally inside? Right, because both of those are options for on the side. And then the question comes up: like, what difference make? What do we care? Is it inside, like right next to it? Is it on the side? And then the conversation comes up in Hasidus of how much flexibility do we have in our interpretation of Torah? Do we need to keep it samud samud samud? It has to be so close we don't get to move or it could be a little bit further away it's not exact literal but it's still connected to the source right there's a ledge and it's sitting on the ledge so it's still very connected but it gives us a little bit more um a little bit more flexibility or a little bit of space for innovation and obviously in good jewish tradition which one is right oh. Both, <laughs> right? Both of them are right. Both of those options um, are we have. They're both of them have places in our lives. There are the places and the times that we need to really stick closer to the to the literal exactly, and then and the and the place of being more innovative um, is also has a place, and and we need to really be able to balance all of those things. Perhaps and this is my own thing, so you don't have to you don't have to take this, but perhaps it's also connected to that nitzavim and vayelach attitude. At the place of Nitzavim, of what are my values and what are my core and what is my, my that I have to like hold really tight. Once I start Vayelech, if I am tight with my core, then my creativity and my movement is still true to where I'm coming from. But it takes on my own personal flavor and it takes my own, uh, you know, sense of personality and, and 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 excitement and passion, which is different than everybody else's around me. Everybody has their own things that they're really very interested in. Um, 
So that's, that's kind of where our Torah portion is going to end. Now, we do not have class again until after Sukkot. So just a, briefly what's going to happen is that the next Shabbos, the Shabbos after Yom Kippur, we're going to read Parshas Hazinu, okay, which is a song that Moshe uh, teaches the Jewish people to keep them connected to Hashem. And then um, that's the Shabbos after Yom Kippur. And then what happens is uh, the next thing after that, after Hazinu, is the Zos HaBracha, is the blessing that Moshe gives the Jewish people. Okay? Now what's going to happen is that we have Sukkot is Monday night and Tuesday. Okay? Monday night and Tuesday. That Shabbat, we're going to read the reading of Sukkot. We are not going to move on to the new Torah portion. So if you do, if you learn the Torah portion according to the week, you would then repeat Vizot Bracha after Shabbat. And then when we have Chag again on Monday night and Tuesday, which is going to be Simchat Torah in Israel, because we don't have two days of Chag, we only have one. Tuesday is going to be Simchat Torah. That day we are going to read all of Vizot Bracha and the beginning of Bereshit. We're going to read the six days of creation. And then we move on to the new cycle. Okay, so that's where things are going to move over. Certain years you have Vizota Bracha, you're going to read more often, but this year we basically have a full week of Vizota Bracha, and then we're going to uh, have a couple of days, and then from Tuesday we're going to pick up the Bereshit story. We are going to be back in class, not for Bereshit, we're going to be back for Noach. So I'm going to implore you to really give Bereshit some attention. It's, it's one of those Torah portions that ends up getting lost. There's a lot going on. Um, once you get past creation, there's still a lot happening in Bereshit. Um, and we never really get to study it in Parsha class or very often, uh, actually never. And we've never, I've never, I've never learned it with a class. And um, we're going to pick up a Noah. So please, 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 please get a chance to keep up with that until we get back to class together. We're oh. learning it. You're learning. We started with the Kinnah Yitzchak. So that's. After the Yom Kippur, you were starting coming back to Bereshit. Okay, good, good, good. So then you're going to come back to Bereshit. Okay, good. So then you're going to do it really well, and you're going to really because there's so much happening in Bereshit. But yes, we're going to come. We're going to pick up Parsha class again for Noah. So I want to give us all a bracha that this, you know, I, one of the teachers that I like to listen to, Rabbi Paltiel, talks about this time of year. If Elul was the king in the field, so he coins this time as the peasants in the palace. We kind of followed God back into the into the uh, into the palace, and and we're there, and we're just in awe, and we're just overwhelmed, and we're going to actually spend most of Tishrei as peasants in the palace until Simchat Torah, when we're going to leave the palace and we're going to dance with joy that we actually are able to start doing our mission, which is to be people in this world serving Hashem. So I want to give us all a bracha that we we're in Jerusalem and we should be able to feel that that we are peasants in the palace, that we are, our year wasn't as terrible as we thought it was. It probably also wasn't as amazing as we thought it was. It was someplace more in the middle and, and to be able to appreciate that we are literally, literally in God's backyard over here and to, and to appreciate that ability and to see the miracles and the connectivity and that we see every single day here and to be able to take it as taps on the shoulder from Hashem and to really inspire us as we go into Yom Kippur, into Shabbat, Shuvah, and then into, Shabbat, into Yom Kippur, to really be able to connect to Hashem in such a deep way. And then when it's time for us to leave the palace, to be inspired to do our job for what it's meant to be. Have an awesome rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you.